Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. So, uh, and uh, I want to give a personal greeting to you who are here in person. You have braved the threat of snowmageddon. And uh, here you are, and I don't know, it could snow 10 inches just in the three hours that I'll be talking. And then we might be stuck together for the rest of the weekend, so you are brave indeed. I also want to say, hey, howdy to all of our streaming people, although we don't say howdy in Kentucky, do we? I'll just say hello. Um, And uh, so whether you are here in person or whether you're streaming with us, we're so, so glad that you're here. CU and Lindsay students have been making their way back, but then it's a three-day weekend. So no sooner do they get here, but then they go home with the laundry that they left back before Christmas. But uh, CU and Lindsay students, we're glad you're here too. All right. So that's all of the greetings. Um, We have started just last week on uh, a series just for the month of January about the gospel of the kingdom of God. Uh, Now, maybe you heard Pastor Adam last week kick it off out of Matthew chapter 13, in which which, uh, Adam uh, uh, went into the parable of the sower. Uh, Now, if you are church broken and you've been around churches for a long time, uh, you may have thought that the parable of the sower is only about uh, evangelism. Now, it certainly is about evangelism, but I'd really recommend checking out the audio archive if you've missed the message, uh, because what Adam uh, uh, broke open for us is that it's a parable of the kingdom. Yet, yes, it is about evangelism and different kinds of people, but it's far more than that. That's part of the glory of God's word and of the teaching of Jesus is that it could yield so many different meanings. Uh, And I'm personally thrilled uh, that we're spending the month of January on the gospel of the kingdom of God uh, because there's like two things that get me out of bed in the morning uh, these days other than the love of my family. And those two things are Uh, the gospel of the kingdom of God and the idea of discipleship. So um, uh, I was thrilled to be able to have uh, an opportunity to share uh, some with you on that. Now, uh, that might be where uh, I want to start. We're going to kind of just do an overview, kind of a survey today. Uh, I'll be referring to a lot of passages of scripture Uh, which kind of breaks the preaching rule where you only have one text and then you develop the text. So I'm breaking that rule today, but I did try to organize it uh, around uh, scriptures that you would find in Luke's gospel. So it'll be, you know, I'll take scriptures of Luke's gospel for 200, 400, 600, 800, and we'll just keep going to see how the gospel of the kingdom of God is uh, related in Luke's gospel. Now, last week, um, Adam said that uh, among newcomers and visitors uh, over the last year or two, uh, we've uh, frequently had the question, why you guys talk about the kingdom of God so much? Because, again, if it's not a part of your uh, church background, it's like, that sounds just a little bit strange. So uh, let's start with this. Can we do a thought experiment? Okay, it's already weird. It just got weird here at the vineyard. Let's do a thought experiment, okay? I want you to imagine, and, and I'll be asking you a question about this. So do it. 
I, I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning you wake up and somehow, somehow, heaven has come to earth. Now, here are the rules. You, you wake up tomorrow morning, you're still you. You're still going to go to your job, or you're still going to take care of your children, or you're still going to go to school. In other words, life in Taylor County, life in Taylor County is still going to go on, but somehow, heaven has come to earth. For those of you on the podcast, I'm just thinking about it. If heaven were to invade earth tomorrow, how, but life goes on, right? You know, how would your life be different? Or what would you notice? So how, what, how would your life be different? Or what would you notice about the world about you? And this is not, these are not rhetorical questions, he said, shielding his eyes from the light. Um, what would be different about your world? Or what would you notice if heaven came to earth tomorrow morning? Your turn. There would be harmony in the middle school. <laughs> harmony in a middle school. That would be miraculous, wouldn't it? Yeah. Are, as, are you speaking as the parent of middle schoolers? Uh, as an employee of the middle school. As an employee of the middle school. Now, okay, so we're in favor of harmony, especially among all the little children, otherwise known as Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and, you know, there's, little, there's more than little children than in just middle school, right? But David says there would be, there would be some harmony, and I, and I like that. Uh, what else would you notice about the world around you? Peace. I'm sorry? Peace. peace. And Susan, uh, what kind of peace? What would that peace look or, or feel like? Okay, so both inner peace and outward peace, that kind of harmony. So I could have peace in me, and I might even be able to get along with other people. One more. Let's do one more. You're doing great, well, at least this side of the room, on the thought experiment. What else? Real loud, please. Everyone's needs would be met. This, this world that we live in, which is filled with scarcity, right? Um, scarcity may not, in the same way, characterize our world, right? Now, I heard a voice, and I'm not wearing my glasses, so, so who said everyone's needs would be met? Okay. So, and by the way, how, in, in your mind, how would that happen? Is, is it just all of a sudden everybody's refrigerator becomes Kroger? Or how would, how would our needs be met? They'd have a home, they'd have a shelter. These are important things, uh, right? I mean, I'm, I'm grateful for a warm house when Snowmageddon is upon us, right? All right, so there was harmony. There was peace both inside and outside. There, there was plenty. And what we've just done in, just a, in, in a short way is we have actually tried to imagine God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we've just done. Congratulations. You have applied yourself. You've encountered the kingdom of God in your imagination, uh, hopefully in something of a, of a new way. 
Jesus not only teaches us how to pray, both in Matthew's gospel, but also in Luke's gospel, the Lord's Prayer, and the very first request that we're supposed to make is, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we pray that out loud and we pray it all together, we would be tempted to think that those are separate thoughts because we're all doing it together. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But grammatically, it's, it, this is the first request that every follower of Jesus, the Lord instructs us to pray. Our first request is, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I, I'm challenged by that because what I need to figure out then is, is that really my first prayer day by day? Um, let your kingdom come in as Susan said, inside and out, um, let your kingdom come in me. Let it come uh, in my loved ones. <coughs> Excuse me. Let it come in my loved ones. Uh, let it come in my place of employment, especially if it's a middle school. <laughs> let your kingdom come. And it's, it's actually a wonderful prayer exercise. So we've moved from the thought exercise to trying to define the kingdom. And, and in defining the kingdom, we're moved right into a prayer exercise. And that is, can we imagine in our world, in me, in my family, in my employment or my task or whatever it is I've been given to do, that it's even possible for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? Um, this is the kingdom of God. Now, right away, we have to stop and do just a little bit of preliminary work, if I may. And that is that uh, depending on uh, your church traditions, uh, a lot of people uh, would think that there's a difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And uh, that's because Matthew's gospel almost exclusively uses the kingdom of heaven, while Mark and Luke and John use the phrase the kingdom of God. But uh, take it from me, they are all synonymous. Heaven is just the place of God's presence, all right? So if whether you're reading in Matthew or whether you're reading in Mark, Luke, or John, when you encounter the phrase either the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, they're the same thing. But we Many of us, I certainly did for the first 20 years that I was trying to follow Jesus, tried to consign the kingdom to some future event and some future place. I'll die, I'll go to heaven, and that's where the kingdom of heaven would be. So just as a preliminary, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are synonymous. Uh, Pastor Adam worked out of Matthew last week, Matthew 13. So uh, Jesus, uh, in providing the many parables that are in that chapter, always said the kingdom of heaven is like. Uh, but many of those parables also appear, appear in Mark chapter 4. Uh, some of them appear in Luke. Uh, but the, the idea is that it's all one thought. There's no difference between God's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. Heaven's just another way of referring to the presence of God. Now, if we want to be here until two or three, we could go into detail, and, and I would be able to demonstrate that to you, or you'll just have to take it from me, because I'm moving on, okay? So now we've done our preliminaries. We've tried to imagine waking up with the presence of God and the presence of his rule and his reign. I think this, I don't think this, 
too tough. God rules and reigns in heaven, yeah? Well, what would it be like if he ruled and reigned on earth in the same way that he rules and reigns in heaven? Um, And here's part of the challenge, especially, I'm gonna be hard on us North American evangelical slash charismatic Christians. Can I just tell you this? We suffer from a gospel too small. May May I tell you that? Somehow, when I met the Lord, for example, in 1970, when I met the Lord, this was the gospel that was given to me. Ray, you have a sin problem. Jesus paid the price for your sin. You can accept his gift. This is the gospel, right? I have a sin problem. Jesus paid the price. It's a free deal. Take the deal, right? Now, everything that I just said is true, But it's not all of the truth. There's not one thing wrong with the fact Ray has a sin problem. Ask my wife. Uh, Ray has a sin problem. Jesus paid the price. There's something that he did on the cross that only he could ever have done in all of human history, right? So these things are true. I have a sin problem. Jesus paid the, the price for my sin. And it's the free gift of God for anybody who will take the deal. The problem is, is that the gospel of the kingdom of God is this big. And the gospel of go to heaven when you die, get forgiven, go to heaven when you, is this big. Now, this big is okay because it's part of the truth. But the gospel of the kingdom of God is so much bigger. And over the years, and I would say all of the 20th century and now into the 21st century, especially us North American folk, uh, we have suffered from a gospel too small. I want to say this, the gospel of the kingdom of God differs radically, differs radically from the gospel of go to heaven when you die. Seth, let's do the next slide. Here was the good news that Jesus preaches in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in these gospels. And it is simply this, that finally God's long promised kingdom is breaking into the here and now. That is the gospel that Jesus preaches. And that is what you've been waiting for. Jesus speaking to the Hebrew people of the first century, which was a long time ago, right? What you've been waiting for has finally happened. Isn't that wonderful? God's kingdom is breaking in, right? Now, um, let's do the next slide. The problem was is in interpreting what Jesus said, okay? In Jesus's day, people really were looking for God's kingdom to come. Um, Israel had been once a great country, King David, man, he was the berries. King Solomon, renowned for wisdom and wealth. And then some things started to go wrong called the Babylonians and the Persians and the Medes and the Greeks and the Romans. And for 500 years, the people of Israel had had overlords. They were looking for God to show up and bring an end to this present age and to start the age to come. This is why the vision of the prophets is so wonderful and so mind-blowing, is that someday God will show up. And when God shows up, he's going to bring an end to this present age, and he's going to start the age to come. This is what the Jewish nation thought and devoutly hoped for. So it's no wonder 
when Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is at hand, and when he heals the sick and feeds the multitudes and cleanses the lepers and raises the dead, they're going, hot dog, here we go. We're going to be number one again because the Messiah would be the son of David, King David, that great, great king. So this is a picture of what people's expectations were. Now, it might also be a picture of what our expectations are. That because of the work of the Son of Man, we have a promise for the age to come. In other words, this is an accurate picture historically of what the people of Israel were looking for. No surprise that it drew great crowds of people to the teachings and the actions of Jesus. But one more look at it, if you don't mind. Isn't it possible that this is what we've interpreted the gospel to be? I live in a dirty, stinky, horrible, nasty, no good world, and someday, because of the work of the Son of Man, then I will live forever with him in the age to come. I'd like to suggest that the expectations during gospel times 2,000 years ago, at least among North American evangelicals, is, is, is not so different than our expectations these days. Um, I, I was a pastor for a number of years. Uh, I, I got together with other pastors in my community, and one of them, a, a good man, not a bad man, said, guys, talking to the pastors, guys, when we get to heaven, God's only going to have two questions for us. Did you know my son, and how many did you bring with you? And I'm like, man, I don't want to rock the boat, but I think God's going to be concerned with a little bit more than that. But have you heard that kind of talk? These are the things. Do you know my son? Which I think is kind of important. And how many else did you, how many others? If dying and going to heaven is our greatest good, then our expectation is, is that all the good stuff happens when we go to heaven. If dying and going to heaven is the ultimate and the, and the only question, then we don't concern ourselves with our responsibilities as followers of Jesus in this present age. So amazingly, this is not only the expectation back then, but it's our expectations sometimes even now. But, new slide. I'd like to suggest that this is what Jesus was up to. And that is that there would be an overlap between this present age and the age to come. Now, I have those things in quotation marks because that's biblical language. This present age, that's biblical language, and the age to come, also biblical language. And what Jesus did was something far beyond what most people expected. Uh, Isaiah kind of looked forward to it. So did Jeremiah, so did Ezekiel, but not many other people were looking for it. What he did was he inaugurated the kingdom. You know what an inauguration is? That's what gets things rolling. It doesn't mean that everything changes instantly. In the United States, when there's a new administration, from one party to the next or even within the same party, just because the new person puts his or her hand on the Bible and takes the oath doesn't mean that everything changes the next day, but it means the changes are on their way. The changes are coming. So this diagram, I think, is a little bit, um, this is a little bit more accurate. And here's where I want to camp for a while. We live in the overlap. We live 
in the midst of this present age, even while the age to come is still now breaking in. That's why Jesus says some stuff like this. Um, play with me. Will you play with me? Uh, everybody here bring a hand with you today? Did you bring one? Okay. Put it, put it out as far as you can put it out. Yeah, just play with me. Jesus said that the kingdom of God was at hand. Now, how far? Take a look. How far is your hand? It's not that far away, right? I feel sorry for Anthony Davis, who used to play for UK, because he's got a wingspan of like 22 feet or something. So for him, the kingdom of God is further away than for me at five foot six, right? But Jesus said the kingdom of God is so close. Oh, wait, is so close. You can reach out and touch it. The kingdom of God is so close that it's not even a long distance call. Not that we have those anymore, right? Um, so... Uh, let's look at this message now. The expectation was, is that when God showed up, the world would end and there'd be a whole new world. The reality was that Jesus was inaugurating the way things are done in heaven here on earth and that we live in the overlap. There's our, there's our primary image for today, right? Let's, let's go on to the next slide. In the, in the four gospels, if you look at kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, Jesus uses that phraseology more than 100 times in the four gospels. Do you think it's important if Jesus brings it up 100 times? See, this is the gospel that Jesus preached, the gospel of the kingdom of God right? By contrast, and, and believe me, listen, for that teenage kid back in 1970, I'm so glad that I accepted the free gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, okay? But in the four gospels, language like saved or salvation, fewer than 25 mentions. So is it important? Well, yeah, you got like 20, I think it's 23 is the exact number. Is it important? But on order of importance, is it possible that in our lifetimes that we have emphasized something that Jesus said and that we've ignored something that Jesus said four times more? Is that possible? And what happens then is we suffer from this gospel too small. And um, I mentioned that uh, we're going to do everything out of Luke, right? So he defined his mission. He said, this is what I've come to do. I've come to preach the gospel. Um, he taught about the kingdom of God. There's, there's only one way to tell people what Chicago is like, and that's to visit Chicago. I'm, I'm from Chicago, so I like Chicago, right? You can say, well, there's a really tall building and you can go up there, but until you actually do it, there's nothing quite like it. Am I right? Yeah. Okay, so it turns out somebody shows up from heaven and says, this is the way things are when God is in complete control. This is the way things are when everybody in the neighborhood cooperates with God. Do you think in heaven that God's in complete control? And it's a tough theological question. Now, more important, do you think in heaven everybody cooperates with the guy who's in complete control? And do you think then it would be characterized by harmony 
by peace and by a lack of uh, scarcity that people would have everything. If, just as an example, uh, is, is there a lot of petty bickering and gossip in heaven? Is, is there a lot of sickness in heaven? Well, what about those beautiful words out of Revelation? I know Luke didn't write Revelation. I said it's mostly Luke, it is, right? Right, now I, I beheld the, the new Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband out of heaven, where? Where's it going? I beheld the new Jerusalem coming down to earth. And I heard in a loud voice, there'll be no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more crying. If we can cooperate with the guy in charge, then life will more and more and more be characterized by peace, harmony, and lack of scarcity, especially for others, okay? So he defined his mission. He taught about the kingdom of God because he had been there. And notice how even the Lord of glory is like, he's looking for examples. You know, the kingdom of God, it's like, uh, it's like oh, I know, it's like a farmer who went out to sow the seed. And Pastor Adam last week in his message said, doesn't that speak of the generosity of God? How the kingdom of God is for everyone? Uh, you know, you're, you're hardened by the path of life. You've been walked all over. Here's some kingdom seed. Uh, you, you have multiple motivations and things that could choke things out. You've got weeds. It's all right. Here's the seeds of the kingdom, right? This was the message that Adam preached, is that the kingdom of God is for everyone. And as Adam said last week, have you ever even, have you seen sometimes that even on the most foot-hardened path that somehow a plant finds its way up into the light, right? And nor does a foot-hardened path need to be forever hardened, but it can be softened, right? He, def- he defined his mission. He taught about the kingdom. This rearranges the things he does like uh, healing the sick and feeding the 5,000. They become signs of the kingdom. He's saying, in the presence of God, there is healing. In the presence of God, um, uh, there, there is plenty. Why does Jesus feed the 5,000, and later feed 4,000? And the answer is, is, well, yes, he's trying to demonstrate the authority of his message, but what he's saying is that in God's kingdom, just two loaves of bread and five fish is all you need. As one of the, the dear women in our church has said for 25 years, enough is all you need, and whatever we put into God's hand will be enough. And I, and I love that it would be that people don't go without because the kingdom of God is not just about meeting my needs. The kingdom of God is about meeting the needs of others, right? Can I tell you this right now? In the globe, the world, did you know there's enough food to feed everybody? What's the problem then? Why are people starving in parts of the world? Right now, we have the agriculture, the technology to sustain a planet of 7 billion people. What's the problem? The problem is the humans who won't share. In other words, we have enough food to feed everyone. And what if Jesus was, what if he were capable? He is capable. What if Jesus touched our hearts to the point that we would think it's not enough that my needs are met, but 
heaven hasn't fully manifested on earth until I see to it that other people's needs are met. Now that may rub against sometimes some of our political our political persuasions, right? But scarcity is both, a, or relief from scarcity is both God's miraculous intervention, but that miraculous intervention can also be that my heart is changed. And again, just ask my wife, it's a miraculous intervention when this guy's heart is changed. She goes, hallelujah, right? All right, so he defined his mission. He taught about the kingdom of God. His miracles were signs of the kingdom. And as he, and, and, I, and I jumped ahead, he said, the kingdom has come near. He said, the kingdom has come near. Now, I'm afraid at this point, as I was preparing, I got afraid like, Ray, you're making this sound too easy because your life is just great. It's all easy street, right? Everywhere you go, Richard? I've seen it. <laughs> You've seen easy street. In my life, I assure you, I assure you, I have a pretty wonderful life. It's pretty much easy street. It's, it's, what's odd is that as good as it is, I, I let fear get a hold of me. I let worry, I let envy get a hold of me, right? Why don't we all just take a minute and praise Ray, shall we? Let's just lift our hands and I, my ego needs it, right? Let's just lift our hands towards Ray and thank him for all that he's done for us. That's my problem is that my biggest problem is I want to be God. You, you, you laugh, but it is my single biggest problem, right? I, I'm afraid that maybe I've, I've painted the picture a little too rosy. And since I still have, Pastor Adam usually finishes at 11.05 and there's a clock over there. So I'm going to try to bring it in. Okay, um, the biblical record about the kingdom is actually nuanced. So you'll notice that all of those are Lucan references, right? Let's do the next slide though, because it turns out that the kingdom of God is at hand or come near uh, can be a little bit confusing. Jesus said, if I, uh, he said that the kingdom of God is near or it is at hand. He also said the kingdom of God is here right now. Jesus did. If you know that passage, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come among you. So Jesus sometimes said it was near. Sometimes he said it was here. Sometimes he actually had a whole parable about, he told this parable for people who supposed that the kingdom had already come. Wait, didn't you just say you drive out? Wait, uh, right? That's why I say... Jesus' teaching is actually nuanced. And then you get towards the end when Jesus shows up in Jerusalem and you find out that the kingdom of God is still a future event. So if you're taking notes, uh, all of these are Lucan references. He inaugurates the kingdom, he preaches the kingdom, he demonstrates the kingdom, and then he seems to say like, oh my goodness, four different things about the kingdom. Now, either Jesus is confused, or Luke got it wrong, or this is something that we should ponder and live with beyond just a Sunday morning sermon. Which do you figure? Who votes for Jesus is wrong? Okay, I got one right back there. No, you're just stretching, aren't you? That's right. Uh, 
Nobody's going to vote for Jesus is wrong. Uh, sometimes people might say, well, maybe Luke got it wrong. Don't do that. Luke got it right. All right. How many of you would vote for, maybe we ought to ponder this a little bit. Because part of the North American, I go from victory to victory, uh, DJ Khaled, all I do is what? All I do is win, 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 right? That's what Christianity's about. All I do is win, 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 right? I don't know if he's Christian or not, all right? But this slide tells us maybe there's a little bit more nuance. And in your life, have you experienced a little more nuance than the rosy picture I just painted? Let's go one more slide. We live in a point of tension because there are two ages that are overlapping, Remember that? I, I, that is the central image today, is that this present age is currently being overlapped by the age to come, but they both live there, right? In other words, there's conflict between kingdoms. The apostle Paul in the first uh, uh, chapter of Colossians says that God has transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, there, there are kingdoms that are in conflict. The truth is, is that the call to follow Jesus is not a call to ease. It is a call to conflict. Conflict at a cosmic proportion. The call to follow Jesus is a call to conflict. The coming of Jesus was the beginning of the end of this present age. At his second coming, the present age will finally come to an end. That's all that revelation stuff, right? But we live, and this is from the theologian named George Eldon Ladd, taught at Fuller Seminary. He's deceased now. This goes right to the heart of vineyard theology. The, the reason Pastor Adam is saying we're going to spend a whole month on the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is the, the, the keystone, the capstone of vineyard theology. It's not the only part, but it's, it's the part that holds it all together. And George Eldon Ladd said that followers of Jesus live in the tension between the already and the not yet. Have, have we seen people healed in this church? I, sometimes miraculously so. We've seen tumors vanish. We've seen people that were born deaf come to hearing. We've, I mean, 25 years, we've seen some miraculous healings. But have we also seen some devastating illnesses in our church? Have we seen people die way too soon? This is the tension between the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is breaking in, and so the, the deaf are hearing, uh, the, the lepers are being cleansed, uh, the, the hungry are being filled with good things, but this present age is still among us, and so we live in the tension of this age. Now, again, North Americans, we don't like this. I either want to live in a world where all I do is win, 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 and like to follow Jesus is to be on the winning side. And if you're not winning, said the preacher, you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. You good with that? No. Right? But it's in the book. Don't you believe the book? If you're not winning, it's your problem. You could even quote scripture. Let God be true. Let every man be found a liar. 
that's why we need the nuance of the kingdom. To realize that Jesus said, I am the point of the, of, the, of the arrow. I'm the point at which the kingdom of God, the way things that are done in heaven will be done on the earth and are being done on the earth. I'm the point of the spear. By the way, how did it work out for Jesus? Did they say, well, yeah, you can have the best mansion in Jerusalem and just stay there and live forever because after all, you're bringing the kingdom. The life of Jesus demonstrates that the life of the kingdom is a life of conflict. Uh, I'm gonna get real serious here for a minute, but it's really important. James and John, two brothers, they figure out that Jesus is God come to earth, that Jesus is the Messiah. They figure it out. So they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we have something we want you to do for us. You know this story? We got something we want you to do for us. When you come into your glory, would you let one of us sit at your right hand and one of us sit at your left hand? And Jesus goes, hmm, you guys really know what you're asking? And they go, yeah. Because he's coming into his glory. He's the king. He is God come to earth. Jesus comes into his glory by being nailed to a cross. And do you know that when he was nailed to the cross, rejected by this earth, that there was someone at his right hand and someone at his left hand. And they were saying, hey, when you really make it big, we wanna be there, right hand and left hand. And Jesus goes, really guys? You want to be up there with me? In other words, they didn't know what they were asking. And he didn't burst their bubble right then. He just simply said, it's not for me to give those places away. Right? Now, I think that's powerful. Jesus comes into his glory by fully entering into the conflict of this present age with the age to come. Jesus comes into his glory by having his message rejected. Jesus comes into his glory by sacrificing himself on behalf of others. I haven't heard DJ Khaled do a song like that yet. Have you? All I do is give, give, give. All I do is serve, serve, serve. All I do is pour myself out, pour myself out, pour myself out. That's what the king of glory does. So we live in a time of tension between the promise of the already and the reality of the not yet. But the promise of the already is here. I mean, we have seen not just miraculous healings, and we've seen them, but we've seen lives changed. We've seen marriages that have been uh, uh, reinvigorated. We've seen people who were on the outside and were marginalized. We've seen people find stability. We've seen people struggling with addictions finally find that inner peace and that from that inner peace, they begin to be able to deal with those addictions. I'm, I'm telling you that the promise of heaven breaking in is real, but it comes at the point of conflict. It is not a guaranteed deal. It's not just if you say the magic words or have enough faith. It is if you will become a follower of Jesus, then you too, you too can see the kingdom. What's, uh, I'm switching from Luke to John now. Jesus says, unless you're born again, 
you can't even see the kingdom, right? Unless you're born of the water and of the spirit, those could be baptisms, I don't know what they are. Um, You can't enter the kingdom. We live in the tension between the already and the not yet. Let's just jump past these next two. The already. Uh, This is uh, where some of the biblical language helps us. The powers of the age to come are a part of our empowerment. That's a biblical phrase. We're called to declare and demonstrate the gospel. Uh, Luke 9 and Luke 10, twice, Jesus says, go preach the gospel of the kingdom. And you know how you do it? Heal the sick, raise the dead, no prob. But he's saying, proclaim the kingdom and do the works of the kingdom. How many people will ever get healed if you never pray for someone to get healed? Is it a guarantee that every time I pray for someone, they'll get healed? Not at all. I've prayed for people and they've gotten sicker and I got what they had. But I can also tell you the 25-year history of this church that I've prayed for people and they have miraculously gotten better right? Okay. We're called to live out the values of the kingdom, that it is already among us. But then also, next slide, the not yet. The full coming of the kingdom is not until the very end of the book, Revelation 21 and 22. Let's go to the next slide, the not yet. Um, uh, The not yet tells us that until Jesus returns, it won't fully be wrapped up. So we live in this present age, sometimes with sickness, and indeed, if we have a heart for others, certainly with sorrow. Okay? Yeah. Good luck, Ray. Two minutes to bring it in like Pastor Adam. Okay? Let's go to the next slide. The kingdom of God is like any other kingdom. It has its own culture, right? And so, uh, there's the identity of us in the kingdom, The identity of us in the kingdom can be traced from the book of Exodus, Exodus 19, to 1 Peter chapter 2, all the way to Revelation uh, chapters uh, 5, verses uh, 9 and 10. You're just going to have to look it up because I got to scoot. The culture of the kingdom, uh, Jesus uh, preaches from Luke, I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 4, preaches from Isaiah, in which he says, The Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim recovery of sight to the blind. Right? Do you know this beautiful passage? That's the culture of the kingdom. Here's the culture of the kingdom in the best way that I know how to give it. Jesus will not extinguish a smoldering wick and he will not break a bruised reed. Every one of us comes to Jesus smoldering or bent and he will, not ex- he will not extinguish that wick. He will not break the reed. Never. The culture of the kingdom, Adam said this last week. It was so good, I tweeted it. The culture of the kingdom is not conquest. It is discovery of what God's doing. The culture of the kingdom is not about our side wins and everybody else loses. The culture of the kingdom is not dominion, but discovery. And then after we discover what God is doing, we find ourselves cooperating with what God is doing. What's our commission? Well, you can look. I mean, I know there's Matthew 28, uh, 18 through 20. But if you really want to see the commission of the kingdom, look in Luke 9 and in Luke 10. He does it twice. 
First, he sends out the 12. And then just to show you that it's not for super apostles only, in chapter 10, he sends out 72. You want to know what the commission of the kingdom is? It's in Luke, right? We discover that God has been sowing the seed of the kingdom and then we cooperate with the work that he's done. Does that make sense? We discover the work of the kingdom and then we cooperate with that work. And where is God at work? Among the poor, the sick, the immigrant, those that are marginalized, maybe they're marginalized socially, right? And our vocation is not as a a teacher or as an electrician or not as, um, um, uh, I don't know, other things, nurse, lawyer. Our vocation isn't any of those things. Our location is to be the royal priesthood who discover God's kingdom wherever we go. Okay? Does that make sense? So I know... uh, This is, you know, trying to fit 25 pounds of feet into a 10-pound sack. But I wanted to define the kingdom. Pastor Adam introduced it last week. I wanted to try to give us a definition. There are, there's plenty here to study out. No surprise there. I'm giving you homework while I teach for a living. Um, So I'm giving you homework, right? And then finally, last slide. Now that we know what the kingdom is, what sort of people ought we be? I don't know, maybe you should answer that. Now that we know that the kingdom is breaking into the here and now, now that we know that we live in the tension and the conflict, what sort of people ought we be? I'd like to suggest that we should be something other than consumers of Christianity. I think we should always be mindful of the age to come, that we should always hunger that the age to come would continue to break into the here and now. And I don't just mean miraculous. I mean far more than that right? So while the band comes and gets all geared up, and aren't you so grateful for the worship band? I'm telling you, these, these men and women, they, they work hard, they rehearse, they lead us, and, and I know these people. They love Jesus. It's a wonderful thing, okay? I, I just want to suggest that being disciples of Jesus means that we take a journey of discovery into the kingdom more and more. You cannot see the kingdom of God unless you've been born from above. So there's our way in, right? But you cannot enter the kingdom unless you've been thoroughly saturated in the water and in the spirit. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. And one of the ways that we, that we do that, and that we've been doing it for two millennia, is to receive the example of Jesus in a very real way. Jesus gave his body to be broken. And Jesus gave his blood for us. And so we like to do this from time to time. Andrew, do we do this once a month? When do... I should come to church more often. Yeah, probably. So if you've got your little uh, cups... Listen, I'm old school. I'd like to use real wine. I'd like to use just one cup. I'd like to pass it around. And nobody would come to church anymore. <laughs> Are you kidding? Haven't you heard of COVID? But, you know, but that, what that tells us, though, actually, is that it's not in the loaf of bread. It's in the body that was broken. 
And that also tells us that it's not in the cup of wine or grape juice, but that it's the reality is in the blood that was shed. But I do love what our Catholic brothers and sisters do. The, remember, we are all a royal priesthood. And what does the priest do? Have you ever been to a Catholic mass? He holds it up. He is saying, this is what Jesus did. Take from this and eat, all of you, because this is my body broken for you. So my friends, receive the body of Christ broken for you. And then the priest, this is where Protestants are different. We say we are all part of the royal priesthood. And then the priest says this, this is the cup of the covenant. This is the cup of the blood of Jesus shed for you. Take and drink it, all of you. Thanks, Jesus. The miracle is not in either the bread or the liquid. The miracle is in the grace of God. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. 